Greetings urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here and welcome to the 766th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who finds fun in the mantra, food is medicine. We're talking with Kat Savage about the magic of mocktails. Kat is a former clinical herbalist who lived in a permaculture community for almost a decade. She loves to yarden with medicinal herbs, weeds, berries, and fruit trees at home, where she forages for her creations for delicious mocktails and cocktails focusing on local, organic, and sustainable. Her non-alcoholic aperitif-inspired bitters are blended with the elements of herbalism in mind and continue a historic tradition of both shrubs and bitters as a way to preserve the bounty of the season. She loves offering both a mocktail and cocktail options and finds that many customers are excited about mocktails these days. Twelve Bones Brewing recently collaborated with her for an on-tap mocktail for dry January. Her brand, Savor, is about dropping in and savoring the moment with a tasty beverage that is crafted from years of focus on food as medicine as an herbalist. Welcome to the show today, Kat. Are you ready to rock mocktails? I'm always excited about mocktails. Awesome. And I know that because you and I met at the Weaverville Farmer's Market and you are lit up. (laughs) about these. You absolutely love talking about this stuff. I do. Put me in a situation where I can chat with somebody about herbs. I am super excited. And then I love spreading the good word about mocktails. It's just great to share options with folks because I think taking a moment with a special drink belongs to everybody. Oh, there you go. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure. I grew up hiking a lot and I'm a North Carolina native and I have lived in Western North Carolina most of my life here in the Smokies and some pretty remote places. I grew up in places where there were definitely more trees than people. Nice. Things like hellbender salamanders and rare plants and lichens and mushrooms and all the things were common where I grew up. So I'm not sure that I realized that they were uncommon elsewhere. So I developed a love for the flora and fauna of the region at a really early age and definitely gave my parents some stress by eating a lot of things that I found that I should probably not have been eating. I lived through it and I'm still that person. I'm still eating a lot of things that I find in parks and yards and off of trees and (laughs) foraging for mushrooms. So I'm still that same person, but I had the privilege of meeting an herbal elder at a fairly young adult age. I was about 18 and met a fellow named Ralph Kesselberg, who was an 80 year old herbalist who worked with folks with venomous spider bites. He did a lot of like brown recluse and black widow treatment after the hospital had sent folks home with little to no support for their bites. And so he gave me herbs and showed me his photo collection of how it looked as he worked with folks and taught me about elderberries and seven bark. And when I was pregnant with my child, he gave me some elderberry wine that he had made for after I gave birth to celebrate. And it was just a real privilege to get to go on ginseng walks with him and to study with him. And I, I took in that knowledge really deeply 
and just kept finding myself and myself in pretty lucky situations with unofficial mentorships and then some official mentorships as well. And I've just been good friends with some fairly well-known herbalists just by chance, not things I've sought out, but people that I've met and connected with and who have shared their herbal perspectives with me. And then I studied with a, a well-known homeopath named Dr. Rudolph Ballantyne for a few years and got a classical homeopathy certification through him. And that's been very useful because homeopathy often focuses on poisonous things that we wouldn't normally use in herbalism. And because they're so dilute, there's not really any of the poisonous substance, but it's a fascinating way to address symptoms and health problems and I think above all mental and emotional challenges at its best but I went on to marry an herbalist that had a lot of experience and co-owned an herb school with him as well as a tincture company and just continued getting to know my herbal community and found that I really love herbalists. Herbalists tend to be very good people they tend to be grounded. They don't tend to have a big head about their skill sets or a big ego that they bring to the table. They tend to be humble people who love plants. And I like humble people who love plants. It's a, uh, <laughs> right? it's a good group of people. And the potlucks with herbalists are awfully fun because they bring some great things that they've foraged and they bring it when it comes to potlucks. So I've just been really fortunate in my life. And I think I was just born into this passion. Wow, I want to come to one of those potlucks. Let's have one. <laughs> Is it safe to say that you were born into this way of being and as an herbalist? Is this something, because it sounds to me like it came to you at a very early age. It did, but not necessarily through my parents. I think it skipped a generation. My grandfather was the president of the North Carolina Gardening Association and had wow. a really magnificent orchard and garden and was a winemaker and grew tons of scuppernong and muscadine grapes. And so I believe I was really inspired by my time in his garden as a child, but also it is just inside me. It's a relationship I have with plants. It's a personal connection I have. Yeah, I started mine at a very early age and also skipped a generation. My grandfather was a beekeeper and had a large ranch in Canada. Wow. And, and when we moved into a house when I was 15, my mom said, Greg, see the right half of the backyard? That's your garden. Go start digging. Because she knew that's what I was interested in. <laughs> and so you just went and got your hands in the soil. What did you start planting? Oh my gosh, fruit trees. I am a fruit tree grower. I have a fruit tree education program in Phoenix, that I still run to this day. It's 24 years old and we educate people wow. and then we have the opportunity for them to get fruit trees from us. So that's magnificent. Fruit trees are really joyful and just give back so much. And the reason I love a fruit tree is because you plant it once and you get food for decades. That's so permaculture. I love it. <laughs> right? Uh -huh. Exactly. So for those of you that are not familiar with this term aperitif, can you Share with us what that means. I didn't know the word before I, before I got on today, but I know the concept. Yeah. So generally an aperitif contains bitters and there are traditions throughout the world in Europe and South America where folks will drink a digestive liqueur prior to dinner or after dinner. And it just wets the palate, gets the salivation started, gets the digestion process started. 
And overall, you can eat rich foods and still feel good later and not have a bellyache and just have a whole digestive system that feels supported. But aperitifs, there are so many of them, and some of them have really extensive ingredients lists. But like frenetta is one that is South American. Folks do, it's a chamomile-based bitters, mm. and it's strong. I have never tasted chamomile that strong before, but you put it in like Coca-Cola, and like the flavors balance out. And then things like Amaro are popular and like bitters made with green, black walnut hulls. There are global traditions that are fairly old of just getting your digestion started. And usually they're delicious or delicious mixed with something. And I had done some traveling about a decade ago and had one called Prenode and it was delicious. I believe it's anise, anise flavored. And it just inspired me to take a moment before dinner and just sit and let my nervous system relax, let the worries of the day pass and just have a celebratory beverage, ideally in good company, because that supports that, digestion that as well. Yeah, yeah happiness right. is a great, but my flavors for my business were all inspired by the global aperitif traditions. So let's talk about your business because that's where I met you. Heidi and I yeah. were at the farmer's market and we stumbled across your booth and we saw these little bottles of cool colored liquids and you gave us a taste. And I think I said to you, oh my God, I have to have some of that. <laughs> so tell us about your products. Sure. My company is called Savor Shrub Bitters, and it's inspired by that little moment to savor the moment before a meal. Mm -hmm. But I make a concentrated fermentation that's non-alcoholic. They're all live apple cider vinegar based. And I think shrubs and bitters are both trending. So shrubs are a non-alcoholic brew in live apple cider vinegar. Most people who make shrubs simply brew it for a day or two to infuse the flavors of whatever mm -hmm. they are brewing into the live apple cider vinegar. And then a teaspoon, a tablespoon of that is used to make a cocktail or mocktail. And then bitters are usually a separate thing extracted into alcohol. And for me, I no longer drink alcohol. So I was excited to combine both bitters and shrubs and do a fermentation, which I haven't really seen being done. It may be the only product on the market right now that is both a fermentation and a combination of shrubs and bitters, but it's super fun to just mix with some sparkling water or a soda, even Coca-Cola. I know it's not good for you, but it's all things in moderation, a little weekend treat or something like that. But yeah, it brings me a lot of joy. The kitchen is definitely my happy place. It's just great to get in there and play. Nice. And tell me about some of your flavors. Sure. Right now, my product line is narrowed down to five flavors. I started right before COVID, like the day before COVID restrictions. <laughs> so I really didn't know what I was getting into and had a whole lot more flavors and product sizes and things. And right now I have a blueberry lemon lavender flavor with dandelion, chamomile, and lemon peel as the bitters. There is tart cherry pie, which has been a huge hit. And it's got like a cardamom top note and some strong lemon peel and three different kinds of cherries. It's a really beautiful combo. Wow. There is orange mango spice, which I'm wearing my orange mango spice earrings today. <laughs> that one's kind of inspired by something I grew up drinking at like what I call church lady potlucks. And that was something called Russian tea, which is not Russian at all. But it's like the version I had growing up was tang and instant black tea and some spices. Oh. 
<laughs> and apparently other people make it from scratch, but I, I have imitated some of those flavors. It's a little bit mm-hmm. like pumpkin spicy and orangey. And then there is a lemon spruce flavor with foraged spruce. And that kind of reads as like rosemary and lime, but it's just really lovely for like gimlet, gin and tonic, margarita. It's just a really good versatile flavor. Well, and a lot of these things are being foraged right now. I, we went out for a walk yesterday and things are just budding out all over the place. It's pretty exciting. This time of year in Western North Carolina, we go from being like barren trees and dark mountains to just a jungle. It's so good to watch this process. And by the end of the summer, we're like covered up in green. You know, it's almost right. claustrophobic to some people who are used to more expansive landscapes, I think. Yeah, we are recording this in April, by the way. It'll be a little bit farther down the year before we release it. So this is April timing we're talking about. Yeah, early spring. We've already got all the good chickweed and dead nettle and spring ephemerals coming up, which are so exciting at this time of year. When dandelions, let's talk about them because you use them in bitters and they are growing everywhere. I've never seen so many dandelions in my entire life. It's so fun. That might be my favorite herb and it's just so abundant and sustainable to harvest and delicious and nutritious. The level of vitamin K and vitamin A and uh, I think there's even potassium in in dandelion greens. Mm. Every part of the plant is edible and you can honestly buy dandelion seeds and plant them. You might not tell your neighbors you're doing that because they might not love it. I'm definitely there, but it's just so fun. And then you get to make wishes on dandelion seeds and who doesn't love that? Right. When you're harvesting dandelions, do you actually grow them or do you go out and wild harvest them? I grow them myself. I love making wishes on dandelion seeds for more dandelions. So, Uh (laughs) and my wishes come true every time because when you blow those dandelion seeds, it's just so easy to plant them. It is the time of year that I would recommend harvesting dandelions because you get the flower, the leaf, and the root. The root is still a little sweet at this time of year because it's cold Mm. out. Mm. But you get like the best flavor profile from both the greens and the roots, and then you can make all kinds of things. I tend to pickle them so that I have them year round. Like I'll pickle the root Uh. in some live apple cider vinegar and then the greens and the flower together after I've cleaned them. The only part I don't eat is the stem of the flower. It's not tasty, you wouldn't wanna eat it. But the rest of it is just great to use in soups and stews and stir fries and salad dressings. And the applications are pretty endless, yeah. Wow. And they just grow wild right in my yard. Yep. They're just right here. They're probably in most folks' yard. I believe they're native to Europe. So another thing that's growing wild in my yard, we just live about, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes from each other, are onions. Yeah. Do you know anything about them? I sure do. Those little wild onions, they might be the wild garlic. The garlic is hollow stem and the onions are not hollow. It may be the wild garlic, but the bulb is delicious. But I like to leave the bulb so that I can just come to that same patch again. I like to harvest them when they're still relatively short and I will clean them and chop them fairly finely and then put Mm -hmm. them in the food processor with olive oil for a good long time because it takes a while for that to break down. And the, the taller they get, the more stringy and difficult it is to break down. But I can then freeze that mixture of olive oil and like the wild garlic paste and then pull out jars of it to use in place of store-bought garlic um, because it's local and sustainable. And I honestly like the flavor better. 
Wow. All right. Yeah. Because it gets a little mucilaginous though. So you you do want to uh, cook it. Okay, good. Yeah, there you go. In your bio, you talk about cocktails and mocktails. And I know there's a lot of us that don't drink. I don't drink because I have Lyme disease. And when I drink alcohol, it really impacts me. That's why I like the mocktails. What kind of interactions and input are you getting from your customers about that? Yeah, that's a great question. I get a whole lot of folks coming up to me lately. Maybe it's shifted within the past six months or so, interestingly, mm-hmm. who are um, sober or on the path to sobriety from alcohol and who are really excited that they don't have to give up that that moment in their day where they take a moment for themselves and they have something special or they have something that feels like a treat they are excited to replace a quote unquote bad behavior with a good behavior. And I don't really mm. want to characterize those things are good or bad, but I think some of the folks coming up to me are just really excited to do something healthy for themselves in a place where maybe they were doing something that they were experiencing as unhealthy for themselves. And they love to chat about how to create healthy rituals for themselves Mm -hmm. using Mm -hmm. shrub bitters or even just mocktails in general that are not made from my product. And I'm always happy to share recipes and inspiration with folks, regardless of whether it's with my product or some other thing. So folks get to still have that moment where they choose a fun beverage. They still get to choose a fun cup. They still get to choose a fun garnish. They still get to play with the interesting things in the kitchen that might not be pulled out at other times bitters and shrubs and maybe sodas that they only in the past used for cocktails so watching folks light up as they realize that their choice to be sober is not a choice to be excluded that they could include themselves even in a bar situation by ordering a ginger ale and then pouring a little shrub bitters into it or ordering Ah. a mocktail at a bar that feels special and still has an umbrella in it. It's these little things that folks get excited about that I think are meaningful because of the prevalence of um, alcohol as a social lubricant in Mm. our society. Mm. And so seeing people realize they can still hang out with their friends in these public spaces, hang out with their partners while their partners perhaps have an alcoholic beverage and still be included. It's fulfilling. I love that. It is nice to see that a silly beverage can be meaningful in people's lives. It's just (laughs) a drink, but people find ways to care for themselves with things Mm -hmm. like this. And I like that. It's a good thing to see my passion for herbalism and fruit and fermenting to mean something a little bit more than just having a drink. Yeah. Now, Kat, your products have a probiotic or a health impact with them. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I'm happy to. Live apple cider vinegar has a mother SCOBY in it. A SCOBY means a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. So it's a combination of both. And like kombucha, it is a probiotic rich ferment, but unlike kombucha, there is not a second fermentation that produces carbonation. So my products are flat and you would add your own carbonation, but um, each of my flavors was formulated with the energetics of herbalism in mind and are blended in a way that I consider harmonious. The elements and energetics of each herb tell a story. And if you 
or somebody who's into the herbalism within traditional Chinese medicine, perhaps reading my ingredients list would make some kind of a story sense to you. And the story is about aspects of the body that the different herbs work with. And so things like the blueberry lemon lavender formula, while delicious, also I personally enjoy as something to use when I'm having some respiratory things come up. So when I have an earache or a stuffy nose or pollen is getting to me, I will reach for that formula. The lemon spruce also does really well with that, but it's very high in vitamin C, especially as well. Like my peach hibiscus rose flavor has wormwood as the bitters and originally was formulated with peach leaf in it, but I don't have peach leaf in it anymore because it's not super safe for broad consumption. That product was originally formulated for when a person gets overheated, especially working outside in the hot sun. If you think about when peaches are ripe, it is a hot time of year. And so wormwood as a bitters is cooling. And so if I have overdone it in the hot sun and I'm feeling a little bit, maybe even woozy from, from like, Ooh, it is hot outside. I am not staying hydrated. There aren't enough electrolytes in my system. I'll reach for that formula. So if you're an herbalist or someone who knows a little bit about herbs, my flavors and formulas would tell a story for you. Wow. Nice. And you thought through all of this from your herbalist background. I have. I can't help it. This is how I create formulas. And honestly, I don't want to say I didn't think about it, but this stuff is so innate within me at this point that when I go to choose herbs and plants for a formula, it's almost like they choose themselves. Mm -hmm. It's almost like my hands do it. I don't want to be silly or too woo-woo about it, but I, I intuitively feel what needs to be put together. And often it's things that grow in similar climates. Often it's things that are ripe or ready for harvest at a similar time of year. Things that grow together, taste good together, and they work well together. So it's a really lovely way to work with plants is to let them tell you what needs to happen. But you do have to listen with something a little bit deeper and more subtle than your mind. And then you, of course, always check things with your brain, yeah. with your logic, with your books. But these formulas pretty much put themselves together. And I'm very grateful for that because they've been a blessing. Nice. Are you having fun? I am having so much fun. <laughs> I can tell. I can <laughs> tell. All right. So let's talk about how people get these. You have a flight of five signature flavors, which I've tried them all and they're amazing. Hey. If, if I wanted to try some of these... Where do I find them? Yeah, I'll tell you that. And then I've got a question for you. My website is savorshrub.com, S-A-V-O-R-S-H-R-U-B.com. And then you can order those and I ship. But also here in the Asheville area, I'm at like every farmer's market and a couple of uh, stores. Fermenti, who makes fermented vegetables, carries my products. And Red Fiddle Vittles in South Asheville carries my products. Oh my so, God, Red Fiddle Vittles? Yeah. We actually ate there recently. Their food is amazing. They're really good at what they do. Yeah. yeah. And they have a great little store in, in the front of their kitchen that carries a lot mm -hmm. of really beautiful local crafted food products. Nice. So your website again? www.savershrub.com. Cool. And you said you had a surprise question for me. 
I do. So what did you make with my products? What did you get excited about? I think I, before we started today, I told you that I like bitters and I'll just uh -huh. take a, a little bit of bitters and put them in sparkling water. And yes. so that's what we did with yours. Heidi and I made them together. Uh, we had one each and we got some sparkling mango water uh, from, I don't know, a grocery store. I can't remember where it came from and added some ice and a little bit of mint on top. And it oh, was yeah. delightful. I love it. And it's that garnish. That's the crowning piece, right? It's so fun. Right? Yeah, exactly. Cool. Exactly. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed. Okay. How you overcame that failure and what you learned from it. So I, I have had some challenging things happen in my past and I have made some less than great judgment calls about some relationships in the past. I feel like that's a relatable thing for people. Yeah. And I was young and also just, I didn't have a great understanding of boundaries. And I'm, I guess I'm not even sure I knew what they were. There's a lot of talk about boundaries now in the world. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like some of the choices I made in the past in those regards were a little bit of a failure on my part to see what was going on, to make smart choices for myself and my fam. And through those failures, I learned a whole lot about myself. I learned a whole lot about herbalism and community. I learned a whole lot about just boundaries and how to maintain them. Like boundaries are not really something you set, but they're something you hold. And that was a oh. realization that came to me through, I want to say decades of just really grappling with what the heck are boundaries. They're not just rules that are under a different name. They're ways that you make yourself available or not available to people based on what you've realized is good for you and what you realize you want to experience in the world and what you realize works for your own time and your lifestyles. It's honestly been a wonderful thing, the realizations I have had through those challenges. The challenges themselves were not wonderful, but sometimes you make the best of what you have and it produces beautiful things like shrub bitters, but also a different sense of community and understanding how to choose friendships and connections that are supportive and celebratory. And they laugh when you laugh and they cheer for your successes and they truly show up for you with respect. So it's been quite a journey getting to this place in my life. But I think that, I think that these are common experiences for folks and the growing up that we do while we learn through the hard lessons is really valuable. And pay attention to it. And we pay, if we pay attention, maybe we can come out the other side with more maturity and move with more grace in the world. Yeah. Amen to that. What do you consider your biggest success? Oh, that would be my kid. He is young adult now. And it's been my focus since he was little to, to raise an emotionally mature son. I feel the world can benefit from emotionally mature people, especially males who move in the world with kindness and consideration and understanding and respect. And while these things I think were innate within him, he came to the table, he was born with these characteristics. I've made sure to nurture those in him mm -hmm. and I couldn't be prouder of him. He's a good human. He does good things in the world and he shows up with integrity. And I feel like 
if there was ever a legacy that I would leave, I think about 200 years from now, no one's going to remember me. No one's going to remember what I did. No one's going to remember my name. And that's all good. I think that's the human experience is the importance and the finiteness of our existence. But at the same time, if I leave the world a little bit better for my son and my son leaves the world a little bit better for any future generations, whether his children or just other people in the world, we can pass that down. And perhaps in 200 years time, the goodness that I strive to bring to the table in my relationship with my child will still be alive and maybe even more expansive and have made some sort of a difference. So that's definitely an ongoing accomplishment for me. I I hope that is something that comes to fruition and I try very hard. Yeah. And what drives you? What's your big why? Again, my family, my son is usually my big why. My passion for plants and for soil also drives me. I would really like to see the soil be left in better condition than I found it when I got here, tending to the mycelium, tending to the aeration and the worms and the the plants that I put in the soil, thinking about the microbes. I care a lot about the soil because honestly, without it, we don't exist. Um, (laughs) So putting things in the soil that make a difference, and that includes gardening, farming, organically, sustainably, leaving the beautiful mountains of the Blue Ridge and the Smokies with more plants than... I don't want to harvest plants that are rare. I want to harvest plants that are common. Mm. Thinking about the way I move within the world really drives me because I don't know if you're into astrology, but I'm a Sagittarius. So I'm always having an existential crisis. And (laughs) that leads me to thinking big picture a lot of the time and then wondering how I can distill that into little daily actions. Just the way I move with plants and foraging and not harvesting things that would potentially deplete our ecosystem again. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Okay. Carrots Love Tomatoes by Louise Riot is a beautiful book. It's a companion planning book. It's interestingly written. There are some cute hand-drawn illustrations. At the time she wrote it, I believe she was quite up there in years. The picture on the back of the book is this adorable little old lady, but it is one of my most used books. And there are soil colored thumbprints on every other page where I've had it actually (laughs) in the garden with me. When I take my little seedlings into the garden, what do I plant next to what? It takes that concept of plant marigolds or carrots with your tomatoes. And then it continues and includes so many combinations that not only support production of the plants, but enrich the soil, attract Mm -hmm. pollinators, detract worms and things that would eat the plants. It's just such a well-loved book on my shelf. And I have given copies away. I have bought a second copy because I gave my own copy away. I will never be done using that book. Yeah. Excellent. Are you familiar with that book? You nodded a moment ago like you'd seen it before. Absolutely. I've known of it for years. It's a delightful book. Yeah, she's a good read. Yeah. What one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Don't fight the weeds, embrace them. And I think that transcends across all walks of life. Mm -hmm. I find myself pulling grass mostly in my yard and leaving the weeds 
I'll transplant the weeds, the chickweed, the dandelions, the uh, henbit, the dead nettle, the wild garlic into my garden beds. Because honestly, I'm way better at tending to those than I am at growing tomatoes. And they provide a consistent food source year after year. But like in life, you have to know what to call. You have to know what to keep. And I think from permaculture and the permaculture teachers I have worked with, I learned never to pull a weed until I knew its name and use. Amen to that. Yep. So applying that broadly across life, taking a moment and just understanding the people, the situations, the choices you're making, sitting with things. And so you smartly know what, who, and how to cull things and what to cultivate. Yeah. You mentioned henbit. Yes. And it grows wild in my yard in Phoenix when I live there. And I've noticed it growing here. It does. What do you use it for? It's pretty astringent, but I like it in a salad in small quantities. It's mm-hmm. so cute and pretty. It's got those little purple flowers and that little spotty throat on the flowers, but I'll chop it up finely and put it in a salad. I like to do what I call sauced and fondled greens, where I take some vinegar and olive oil and you massage it into things like you might with kale, but it's good to include things like henbit and dead nettle in small quantities because they are both strong flavors, but violet greens are perhaps a favorite to use in those ways. Nice. Awesome. Thank you for that. You said that. And it's, I just literally yesterday I was working around in the yard and I saw something and I put three and three together. It's all that grows in Phoenix (laughs) and it grows here. You're like, hello friend. Right. Exactly. And the other thing about weeds is they're pioneer species. We learned this in permaculture. They show up first. They show up first. They do the heavy digging, they grow voraciously, and they mine minerals out of the soil. They do. So weeds aren't bad. And so often people come to me and say, oh my gosh, I got this weed growing in my yard, or I have mushrooms growing in my yard. How do I kill it? (laughs) And we have to stop and take a deep breath before we try to kill something, find out what it is. And if you can, and what it brings to the table. And usually what it brings to the table is soil improvement and high nutrition. Mm. The weeds I'm growing in my yard have both better flavors and higher nutritional contents than the lettuce I would plant. So I'm going to choose that as a salad to maybe incorporate with some lettuce because the flavors are perhaps more palatable. But it's just exciting that I have these free abundant plants that I really don't have to tend like. I'm a bit of a lazy gardener. I yes. want to do something, right? I say away. that. I've said that for years. I am a lazy gardener. How can we grow food lazily? It's pretty exciting because it's really easy to do, quite honestly, especially right. if you live in such a beautiful place as here, but really anywhere you yeah. can garden like this. And your orchard business out West is a testament to that. Food yeah. can be grown in any climate. And the urban farm where I lived for 32 years in Phoenix has old growth food forest. And I just let things come in year after year, some weeds, some things I planted and it just self-manages. Permaculture is the best. That's the theory of permaculture is you put in that hard work initially. And then over time, it's less and less work and more and more return on that work. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Kat. I really enjoyed chatting with you. It's so good to see you, Greg, and I look forward to running into you at all the markets around town. Yes, absolutely. 
And how can our listeners get a hold of you and find your products? Sure thing. So I mentioned my website earlier, www.sabershrub.com. I'm also on Instagram with a whole lot of good quality content, recipes, and you can find me there at Saver Shrub, both there and on Facebook. And then you would be welcome to email me, info at savershrub.com. And I'm happy to ship you some shrubs or if we run into each other at a market, let's talk about mocktails. There you go. Awesome. Thank you so much. And you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Saver Shrub. Thanks so much for having me, Greg. Take care. You bet. And order some of her mocktails. They're amazing. (laughs) Just saying. Thanks. I appreciate you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams.